Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So now comes the other side of Joseph. This is like a, uh, <laughs> like a schizophrenic, you know, <laughs> this person, you know. But the other side of Joseph where we read at the end of verse 24 that he took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Right before their eyes, Joseph takes Simeon and he ties him up. I mean, what a shocking scene that was for the brothers. They probably looked at each other and said, I thought we were making headway. We were talking together. And why do you think that of all the brothers, Joseph decided to choose Simeon? Who was the firstborn? Reuben. Reuben. Joseph knew that, that Reuben was the firstborn. That should have been Joseph's choice. But Joseph just heard how Reuben (laughs) tried to save his life, tried to rescue him. So he didn't want to terrorize Reuben. Who was the second born of the brothers? It was Simeon. Simeon was the second born. So Joseph chose Simeon because he was the second born. And there was a particular cruelty to Simeon among the brothers, to Simeon and Levi. And Jacob's last words to Simeon and Levi they put it out there pretty plainly in Genesis 49.5. Genesis 49.5, when Jacob said on his deathbed, Simeon and Levi, are brethren, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. Oh, my soul, come not nigh unto their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man. Their self-will, they dig down a wall. This is all referring to Shechem. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So it was Simeon and Levi who murdered all those men. In Shechem, when it says in Genesis 34, 25, you remember Genesis 34, 25, came to pass on the third day when they were sore because they tricked them into becoming circumcised. The two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. That meant that Simeon, in particular, he needed to be broken. He needed to be broken. He needed to be brought to repentance. He needed a special terror, you know. So Joseph chose to terrorize Simeon and bind him up there before all of his brothers. It might have been also because Simeon, he was a pretty hard-hearted character person. Shouldn't call him a character loving brother. He wasn't, but anyway. But Simeon probably was acting less concerned than all the brothers. And so Joseph focused on Simeon. Now, it might have been that Joseph also figured out that Simeon was probably the most likely of all the brothers to tell Jacob, that brother we left down there, he's got to get sacrificed because we're not going back down there, you know, just let him go and not return to Egypt. 
But one thing's for sure, and this terrorized Simeon and the brothers who watched Simeon be bound before their eyes. It was a harsh treatment. It was harsh, but it was needed. Kind of like the surgeon, this cancer surgeon, who wants to make sure that all the cancer's removed. So what does he do? He makes these incisions farther and deeper than the actual cancer is, to, just to make sure it's all removed. And it causes extra pain. <laughs> and so even though Joseph has heard his brother say, we are verily guilty concerning our brother, Joseph says, okay, well, that's the tumor. Now I got to do some cutting around there. And that's not enough. That's not enough for Joseph to give him the assurance that the cancer of sin has been removed from them. So by binding Simeon, Joseph's like the surgeon. He's making a deeper and more painful incision to make sure that the cancer of sin is removed. So he's binding Simeon before their eyes, and he's wounding his brothers, just as King Solomon said a true friend does in Proverbs 27.6. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. See, whereas an enemy comes and kisses with the kisses of flattery, just like Satan came to the Lord in the temptation and flattered, oh, you have the ability to turn these rocks into stones and you're the son of God. That's the kisses of an enemy. Like how Judas betrayed the Lord with a kiss. But the Hebrew words here about these kisses in Proverbs has this connotation of an abundant and frequent, many kisses. So the kisses over and over again. But we see Joseph here being a faithful friend and wounding his brothers by binding Simeon in front of them. When a friend wounds, it's because of love. It's because of truthfulness. And David showed us how these wounds were good wounds when he said in Psalm 141.5, Psalm 141.5, let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. See, the wounds of a friend are kindness. The wounds of a friend are excellent oil on the head that gives like a pleasant perfume. So Simeon has to be singled out and bound. Now, what do you think that Simeon was thinking when he was singled out and bound? What do you think was on his mind? Now it's his turn. I'm finally getting what's coming to me. <laughs> it's been a long time. I'm the one that led that mass murder of those Shechemites. You know, he's probably thinking... What we read in Jeremiah 31, 19, I did bear the reproach of my youth. That was a long time ago, but it's coming around, you know. Now we see Joseph's next move in verse 25. Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man of money in the sack and give them provision of the way. Thus he did unto them. So they bought the corn and Joseph has their sacks filled with the corn. And then he does something very strange. He puts the money back in. He buries it in the large sacks of corn And he doesn't really want them getting into these large sacks, so he gives them extra sacks of food to last on their way home. And so, now this seems very strange because Joseph is pursuing a hard line with his brothers. Why do you suppose that he gave their money back to them? (laughs) Okay, show them mercy. Where did that money come from? Who gave him that money? Jacob. That was Joseph's father's money. He saw right through that. He said, that money came from my father. There's no way I'm going to take the money of my father. And so again, we see this tender side 
of Joseph and his kindness. He wants to send his family back with the food, but he doesn't want to take their money. Now, why do you think Joseph gave them extra food? I think I already gave that away. So that he wouldn't get into the sacks, right? Because Joseph's plan was that they should not get into the sacks of corn and find the money that he hidden in there for them. He didn't want them to have to ask them why he was giving the money back. And what's interesting here is that all along the way, Joseph is showing these two sides. One side's rough and harsh, and the other side's kind and loving. Ken, you said this morning, God is also a God of wrath and a God of love. It's the same thing. It illustrates how God corrects us with two hands. One hand is, a, is harsh for the correction. The other hand is loving. That's why our correction from God is described in terms of Proverbs 3.11. Proverbs 3.11, which says, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. You know, God's correction is described as from a father to a son that he delights in. God's correction is that of a father to a son. And Moses told Israel, you're going to learn a lot about the correction of God, but I want you to keep one thing in mind in Deuteronomy 8.5. Deuteronomy 8.5. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. For a father to see his son go wrong and do nothing about it, that's not love. It's the father really hating his son. For a father to see his son make wrong decisions and just be lazy and just be complacent over it and just choose the path of least resistant and just say, I don't want confrontation. That's not love. That's not love. But when we see God correcting us from love, then we won't despise it. We won't despise it. And because the address in Proverbs 3.11 starts off saying, my son, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. That's a wonderful title, my son. It sends the message of commitment. You know, a father calling his son, my son, is a whole lot better than a father calling his son, son. <laughs> son, come over here, do this. But anyway, my son, it shows the father is not just pushing him away, but is calling him my son. He's like pulling him close to him. And now, now Joseph he just saw how desperate his family was to have this food. And when he saw that, Joseph saw an opportunity. See, Joseph has seen how desperate his family is to have food. And Joseph saw an opportunity for him to show kindness and mercy by giving the money back to them and giving them extra food on their trip. You know, there's coming a time when the famine's going to stop. And then they won't need to be given this food. And then the opportunity to show kindness and mercy, it's going to be gone. But during this famine, there is the opportunity to show kindness and mercy. Kind of like a window of opportunity. There's a window of opportunity for them to show kindness and mercy. There's a principle here. And the principle is here is like this. When we see the need of another, it's our opportunity to help to care, to show kindness, to show mercy. This is what the Lord said in Matthew 25, 34. Matthew 25, 34, he said, Then said the king, say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungred, ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, ye gave me drink. 
I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. Sick, you visited me. In prison, you came unto me. And the righteous are going to answer and say, when? When saw we thee a hunger and fed thee, nursed and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, took thee a naked, clothed thee, saw thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, verily I say unto you, that inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, ye did it, done it unto me. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, sick, prison. When they saw the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the sick and the imprisoned, they saw their opportunity to kick in and to feed, give drink, take in, visit, go to meet with. They saw their opportunity to meet the need and they did it to the Lord. When we see someone who is sick or just came from home from the hospital, that's a short window of opportunity that we have to provide meals to provide meals, so they don't have to cook. After they recover, that window of opportunity is gone. They don't need it. To meet the need is a window of opportunity. Right now, the Jewish people are estranged from their God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord has been calling out to them and is calling out to them the words of Luke 13, 34, Luke 13, 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. But this day today of unbelief of the Jewish people, that will not last forever because the day is coming when the Jewish people will be reconciled to their God, the Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in Romans eleven twenty six, Romans eleven twenty six, and so all Israel shall be saved. And the day is coming when the Jewish people, they won't be the people that are gone to, they'll be the people that go to others, they'll bring others to the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in Zechariah 8.23, Zechariah 8.23, thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that 10 men shall take hold of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying we will go with you for we have heard that God is with you. But for now, when the Jewish people are in unbelief, there's this window of opportunity. It's getting smaller. For us to show, to do to them what it says in Romans 11.31. Romans 11.31 says, even so these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. That word now is very important in Romans 11.31. It's very important when it says, even so have these also now not believed, because that word now expresses there's a current window of opportunity for us to now bring the gospel to the Jewish people when they need the gospel. After all, when the time comes, when the Jewish people have been saved, then there will not be the need to bring the gospel to them, because they'll all be saved, and it'll be like preaching to the choir. But just as Joseph saw this limited opportunity to give food to his brothers, to give their money back to them, give them extra food. He sees that opportunity of giving them food. And so we see this limited opportunity to bring the gospel to the Jewish people because after the famine, Joseph would be known as the one who did feed, who fed in the past, the hungry. And Joseph did this because he saw the hungry and he saw them as an opportunity and he sees that opportunity and he fed them. And for us also to see an unbeliever and refuse to see the need of our opportunity to bring the liberating gospel to them is to cover our eyes and to say, I don't see him on his way to hell. 
Yeah, he doesn't believe, but I don't see him on his way to hell. And to be guilty of what the Lord warned about in Proverbs 24.11. Proverbs 24.11 says, If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou say, Behold, we do it not. Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth he not know it? It shall not he render to every man according to his works. To see a lost soul on his way to hell and not bring the gospel to him is like being the priest or the Levite in the parable of the man who was beaten in Luke 10.30. Luke 10.30 where it says, Jesus answering said unto them, a certain man went down to Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him and departed leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by the other side, across the street. And likewise, the Levite, when he was at his place, came, he looked on him and passed by on the other side. He went on the other side of the street as well. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed and where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. See, both the priest and the Levite, they saw the same thing the Samaritan. They all saw the wounded man. But the priest and the Levite said the same thing. They went over on the other side of the street. They removed themselves to the other side. They saw this man that was wounded as someone to avoid. But the Samaritan also saw him. But when he went to him, so he saw his opportunity to take care of him. And when we see the need of another, that's our limited opportunity to take care of him. We may not have that opportunity in the future. Now, for verse 26, we see everything has been set in place. Simeon is in prison. The brothers are all loaded up. They leave, and they have their separate sacks of food for the way. It's all set up. They're not supposed to find the money till they get home. They're on their way home, and they're on this caravan route, which has these places to get water and rest. And everything is going to plan until one of them, <laughs> one of them decides to open his sack. Oh, why does he do that? You know? Why didn't I give, anyway, and give his donkey some food at one of those, those rest places there. And verse 27 shows the shock of the discovery. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the end, he espied his money. For behold, it was in his sack's mouth. Behold, it was in his sack's mouth. The money had been put right at the top of the sack's so it would be found as soon as it was open. Now, what happens next? We can see in the next verse, 28, in another verse. In verse 28, and he said unto his brethren, my money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, what is this that God has done to us? Now, a little bit more detail about what happened is given to us in the next chapter when they tell dad about it in uh, Genesis forty three twenty one. Genesis forty three twenty one. It came to pass when we came to the end that we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sacks. Our money in full weight brought it again. So, it, one finds it, and the rest of them say, "Well, I wonder if it's in mine too." <laughs> they all, I'm not gonna sit there and say, well, "I'm not looking." <laughs> they all dive in and they find it. So that's what happens. Now we can imagine how they were hoping that maybe it was just the one brother, you know, maybe just the one sack. And, you know, it was an oversight. 
But when they all found their money in their sack, they knew it wasn't an oversight of just the one sack. And then they reported to their father. And, but, you know, for men who were interested in money you know, and sold Joseph, this is the worst money they ever saw. I wonder if they thought, money, a road that goes down to Egypt, an inn where you stop and get water. I wonder if those Ishmaelites, who after we sold Joseph to them, they might have stopped in this very place. Maybe they stopped in this place. Maybe. And now they say in verse 28, what is this that God hath done unto us? Now that's a really important transition. We've gone from verse 21, therefore is this distress come upon us with no named person bringing this distress, you know, unfortunate situation, bad luck, wrong place, wrong time. To verse 22, behold, also his blood is required. And so now we're at the justice level where Joseph's blood was required with no name judge requiring punishment for Joseph's blood. And now, finally, we've arrived at verse 28. What is this that God hath done to us? So now it's not some misfortune or some unnamed judge. Now it's God, Elohim, that's doing all this to them, and they realize it. They're really coming along. Now, their response to finding the money was their heart failed them, and they were afraid. Why were they afraid when they found their money? Yeah, they thought, we've been set up. <laughs> we've been, the Egyptians hate the Hebrews, we know that. And the Egyptians just want an excuse to kill us, and we've been set up. And I'll bet you those Egyptians are going to be hot on our trail, and they're going to capture us for stealing their money. Now, they had a really hard time trying to figure out why the Egyptians would want to show any kindness to them. I mean, this had to be a way for the Egyptians to pick a fight. But it's really their consciences that's really pursuing them, not the Egyptians, the consciences. You know, it speaks about in Numbers 32.23, Numbers 32.23, it says, be sure your sin will find you out. When it says that your sin will find you out, you know what sin is described as there? A hunter. Your sin is going to hunt you down. Your sin is going to pursue you. What we see illustrated here is them feeling that their sin is pursuing them. And not only that, every rattling of a leaf makes the boys jump. You know, because they're afraid sin has finally caught up with them. It's finally hunted them down. Because it says in Proverbs 28.1, Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. What we see here is an illustration of the frightened heart that's restless, that has no peace. And the reason the heart is frightened is because of Hebrews 10.31, Hebrews 10.31, which says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. They felt they were falling into the hands. What is this that God had done unto us? They felt that they were falling into the hands of the living God, and they were afraid. It's a fearful thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all the way that you led Joseph and worked to bring these men to repentance and reconciliation with Joseph and ultimately with you. We pray, Lord, that we will also follow Joseph's steps in caring for others in need. In Jesus' name, amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.